Welcome to our next episode on Diologi Patristica, the podcast of the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. So in this episode, I, Sean Wilhite, sit down with professors Michael Spiegel of Dallas Seminary and Will Varner of the Master's College to discuss topics regarding New Testament and earliest Christianity. Uh, we hope you enjoy this discussion. And I'm joined today with Dr. Mike Spiegel from Dallas Theological Seminary and Dr. William Varner from the Master's College. And we are here in Georgia um, at the ETS National Meeting um, and just want to be able to ask them a few questions. We just had a Didache session where both of these men presented articles or presented papers on the Didache. And uh, we'll just like to sit down with them for a few minutes. And so, gentlemen, we appreciate you being able to join us. And uh, Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so if I can, let's just throw out just a, just a few questions. Um, and we, we just finished a, a, a program on the Didache. Maybe just share with us real briefly what you guys did and what you wrote on. Okay, uh, both Michael and I uh, treated uh, a similar theme in slightly different ways. Uh, my study of the Didache has led me to be convinced uh, that it was a training manual. The technical Greek term is enchiridion, uh, although that term does appear in its Latin form. Uh, Erasmus used it as a handbook. Uh, but as a handbook, a literally a book in the hand, a manual, we would also use that word, uh, for the discipling, the training, uh, the catechizing of new converts. Uh, and uh, I see it primarily as that, though it also shows those new converts and the leaders how to, quote, do church as well, how to baptize, how to do the Lord's Supper, how to uh, entertain uh, apostles and prophets, itinerant evangelists. So uh, uh, so I think it's, a, it's the earliest Christian writing outside the New Testament that was very church-oriented and very oriented towards um, training young converts to this new faith. Yeah, no, that's great. Then, Mike, if you don't mind sharing. Sure, yeah. Um, and my treatment was very similar. I was asking the question, what is this thing? And uh, people have puzzled over that for since it was rediscovered in the 1870s. So, and along the same lines, I suggested primarily the end users of the Didache, the intended users, were the newly uh, established leaders and the newly uh, formed churches. It was more of a, a church planting manual, which I don't see a, a, a really a contradiction with um, Dr. Varner's thesis. I think we're, we're saying basically the same thing. I, I think I was just using my imagination, thinking more, uh, I guess, on the ground, how this was, was playing out in day-to-day -day church life. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Maybe if we can just pull back from Didache studies at large and just maybe ask a, a personal question. Um, so the Apostolic Fathers is a larger collection of text of first to uh, mid-second century, maybe maybe pushing it a little bit later with D, uh, Dagnetus. But maybe just share with us your interest in the Apostolic Fathers and why you are writing in this field. Well, uh, as a New Testament uh, undergraduate student and seminary student, I fell in love with the works of J.B. Lightfoot, those mm. wonderful uh, uh, commentaries mm. on New Testament books and other New Testament studies. I fell in love with the Cambridge Trilogy, mm. uh, Lightfoot, uh, Westcott, and Hort. And then I noticed that, uh, for some strange reason, uh, Lightfoot also wrote five volumes on the Apostolic Fathers. And I said, well, why? I thought he was a New Testament scholar, and he was. Mm -hmm. But then I, uh, I said, okay, well, why? Why would this great New Testament scholar also write these seminal works 
uh, on the Apostolic Fathers, and I found out that mm. uh, he did. And uh, there's not like a contradiction of two different fields here, two mm. New Testament and early, early church history. But he saw it as, uh, well, these canonical works, uh, the New Testament, Lightfoot, and he knew the difference between canonical works and non-canonical works, uh, do the writings of the Apostolic Fathers show a correct understanding of the New Testament or are they going in a different direction? Uh, and he particularly wrote against the Tubingen hypothesis of Paul and Peter being at war with each other. And he says, well, if that's the case in the New Testament, it should show up in the Apostolic Fathers. And it doesn't show up. And Lightfoot showed that it doesn't show up, that this is a false dichotomy of the Tubingen hypothesis. So I saw that and I said, oh, man, maybe these, there's something else I ought to be reading in the Apostolic Fathers. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great, Mike. Mike, do you want to share this? So, why the why the yeah. Apostolic Fathers? Have yeah, I started uh, honestly. It was back in Bible college, my undergraduate graduate work at uh, what's now called Cairn University, and uh, uh, really two things motivated me to start reading the Apostolic Fathers. The first one was we had several students uh, at Cairn that were being that were moving into. Uh, more traditional liturgical like the Greek Orthodox Church, and they kept claiming the fathers as their motivation, their justification for that. And I thought, well, I never even really heard of these people. So I started, that motivated me to read it. The other thing was I, uh, I had a midnight shift at UPS that I was at Monday through Friday, and I'd get home too early, too late to go to bed, but too early to whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had about an hour and a half before classes, and I had to read something. And so I would sit at the table, and I pulled off the Antonicene Fathers, wow. yeah. um, and just started reading that, thinking it would, you know, kill kill two birds with one stone. And I got hooked. I got addicted to it. Wow. Now that's yeah, that's a rich story. Um, may, well, may, maybe even just piggybacking off the, off that sentiment, I, I hear that often that either uh, going down different confessional lines as a result from reading the fathers. So how about how about this? Yeah. Why, as evangelicals, should we be concerned with maybe the church fathers at large, or maybe pulling it back for you, uh, uh, Will, uh, just for the study of early Christianity? So first, yeah. second, third century, maybe up, maybe sure. up to the fathers. So why should we be concerned? Yeah, I think number one, uh, there's nothing cute about ignorance. Um, you know, there, there there shouldn't be these big gaps. Some of the questions that uh, we have, uh, canon issues, the development of the canon, uh, development of uh, Trinitarian. Uh, clarification, etc., can only be answered uh, historically, some of these things. And so we're already in implicitly relying on um, these fathers for things, uh, and we don't know their names, we don't know anything about them, and I think it kind of is important for us to know. Um, you know, I remember when this Da Vinci Code thing came out several years back, and the, the basic attack, it wasn't in the New Testament per se, it was in the developments of the early church, and evangelicals who had no idea about the early church. It was this huge, you know, church history to them kind of, uh, you know, went from the book of Revelation to Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses on the door. And there's this huge gap of ignorance. And it was an open um, uh, point of attack. It was like they were ransacking us through the back door and people were scrambling to try to prepare themselves historically and I think uh, look if we had paid attention to the early history especially so crucial those formative uh, centuries of the church up through 5th 6th century 
um, vital to understand even the, the program of the Reformation. You cannot even understand what the Reformers were trying to do if you don't understand the, mm. the patristic or early Christian consensus. Yeah, no, that's interesting you say that. I, I recall a Carl Truman quote that, that basically the Reformation is who had the right reading of Augustine. Yeah, so it's, it's going, it is. Yeah. It was. They were, hmm. they were trying to restore this yeah. patristic consensus hmm. before they saw it as, as, hmm. as derailing. Yeah. And Sean, if we as New Testament students, scholars are interested in the Gospels and who wrote the Gospels and how they came to be, we ought to be interested in a guy who in 110, around 110 AD, named Papias, said about the origin of the Gospels, that they're based on eyewitness testimony. I mean, talking about apologetics, we believe that they're accurate. Papias believed that they were accurate too, and he's in the generation following, and who even claimed to talk to some of the apostles, and uh, people who were uh, faithful bearers of the apostolic traditions about Jesus. He, he wanted to hear their voice, and this is like in 110 A.D. Right. I mean, uh, and, and even though all of those books don't survive, there's about 15 quotes mm, yeah. or mm. sections of Papias that are quoted by Eusebius and some other people. And we, I'm interested in that. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm interested in what he says about Mark and Peter. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested about what he says about John and the right. elder John. That, that interests me as a New Testament student, but I wouldn't know that. Uh, some of those things about Mark being, uh, you know, an auditor of Peter, if it wasn't for Papias. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Maybe just one more question, uh, to, just to keep our time brief. Um, but one of, one of the concerns that, that we have as, a, as the Center for Ancient Christian Studies is really to try to invest in young men, young women, mm. for scholarship and for evangelical scholarship. And maybe if you can just, if you had two to three minutes with either a junior scholar who's finished finished with his PhD but kind of still making his way in the field, or maybe that the 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 guy or girl that's an MDiv student but has the aspirations of continuing going, uh, what would you? you they have uh, you have two minutes with them. What would you share with them? Yeah, I would say uh, number one, they need patience. Uh, becoming an expert in anything takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, your first reading through the Apostolic Fathers is going to be—it's going to be very strange. You're going to be uh, uh, tend toward anachronism, reductionism. You're going to see words like bishop and Catholic, and you're going to have a picture in your mind, and they generally don't mean what you first think they mean. And so you have to—it's a—it's a long. I would say it took me probably ten to fifteen years of of paying really close attention. Reading and rereading and, and acquiring the languages and things to to feel like I have a handle on on the apostolic fathers and can think of them in their context. Um, don't jump to conclusions. Be patient with yourself and with the study and and let the let the time take its course. Uh, I I really lament the fact that so students their first reading of some of the Antonicene fathers will read through it, jump to conclusions, and then jump into. I mean, I've seen them go into Roman Catholicism, Greek Orthodoxy, Anglicanism, and and uh, that is quite a premature leap. That, so, so I would say patience and and work hard. It takes uh, a long time to be able to master this, but the reward is it's worth it. 
I would say to a younger student, not to a PhD graduate, uh, a younger student, uh, try to overcome this built-in distrust of the early fathers, uh, this wrong understanding of uh, sola scriptura that's hammered into us from the Reformation, as if scripture is the only thing. It may be our only, or it is, our only uh, final word uh, of authority, but I don't think even the uh, reformers who are very familiar with patristics meant to say scripture is only what we should study. Right. Uh, uh, so try to overcome that built-in distrust that is among many evangelicals. Oh, the church became corrupt right away, mm -hmm. and they started teaching baptismal regeneration right away, and right. they started teaching work salvation right away, as if there were no valid, true evangelicals after 100 AD. Try to overcome that distrust. Mm -hmm. Yes, you'll run into some different things, some some allegorical interpretation in Barnabas, but don't get turned off by that. Uh, 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 try to work through that and be patient. These guys could be trusted. Uh, that's why uh, uh, Augustine and Jerome used these guys and read these guys because they appreciated them and why they were, the reformers read them too, uh, those that were available to them. So overcome that distrust and, and uh, don't think that the church went into apostasy in 100 AD. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, that's great. Man, I definitely appreciate your time. I appreciate what you're doing, both as a scholar and I know as a churchman as well. We're just thrilled to have you with us, thrilled to have you join the uh, the podcast, and just want to give a, give a thanks. Thanks, Sean. Thank you so much for having us.